Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. Welcome, superheroes. I am sitting in a very magical place. I am sitting in the home of artist Sharon Kagan. And I have to first tell you the reason why I'm sitting in her beautiful living room next to a piece of art that I saw before I even met her. So I'm going to tell you the story first, why this magical thing is happening right now. So first, I've been out of town for a few weeks, and I came back into town, and the first moment that I had free to make a phone call to check up on my friend, artist Trudy Strobel, was on my dog walk the first day I was back. So I'm on the dog walk with my dogs, my first dog walk back in three weeks, and we're having this glorious walk, and I'm talking to Trudy, who has just had her art opening, her first art opening ever, and I missed it because I was out of town. And I'm getting the skinny on all the magic that happened at her art opening, and I'm sad that I missed it but I'm hearing all her wonderful stories, so it's this heartwarming, amazing conversation. I hang up the phone, and then I call our mutual friend, the friend who introduced us, Jody Savin, who wrote the book about Trudy's life that's going to be out in spring of 2020. And I talked to Jody about how the art opening went from her perspective. How did the art opening go? Another magical conversation, hearing all this wonderful news about Trudy and how amazingly well her art was received and how everybody was moved, etc. And then I walked in my door as I was finishing the conversation with Jody and sat down to resume my work because I was really behind on my work. So I sit down to resume my work and my phone dings because someone has texted me and at first I'm slightly annoyed because I want to get back to work. <laughs> In my inimitable, slightly annoyed way, when it's inappropriate to be slightly annoyed because what was about to ensue was the beginning of magic, which led me to Sharon Kagan's couch right now. So a friend texted me and said that she had seen me on a TV show that I don't even remember being on. I was interviewed in nineteen in the 1990s, 1994 or 1993. I was interviewed, though, on a lot of TV shows at that time because I had an angel store, and it was a rare thing to have an angel store in the United States. So it was one of the first angel stores. So a lot of people came and interviewed me. So she saw this interview, and she asked me, when was it that your angel store was open, and is it still open? And no, it's not still open. But <clears throat> I couldn't remember the exact years. Was it 93 to 95, or was it 94 to 96? And I thought hey, I'm going to Google it, even though that was pretty much the beginning of the internet back then. I'm going to Google the Angel Store and Bridget Fonker. 
And lo and behold, what comes up is an LA Times article from almost 24 years ago to the day that this woman, my friend, texted me. Charlotte texted me, magical Charlotte. On August 25th of 1995, an article came out about my store, and I opened it up. But the first part of this story that this that this of this article is a story about Sharon Kagan's love chapel. And I'm going to ask Sharon about it in a second, but I just want to say <laughs> that I would have met Sharon Kagan in 1995. I would have I would have hunted you down like a wild boar because <laughs> I would have made you meet me because the Love Chapel, he, reading the story about the Love Chapel, which also no longer exists, sadly, I would have jumped in my car and gone over there immediately upon, upon reading about this, about the Love Chapel. So I am right now sitting in the home of Sharon Kagan, who should have been my friend 24 years ago and who is now my new friend. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great introduction. <laughs> it's too magical a story. And Sharon, like, I could have been a serial killer too, right? Like, I'm in Sharon's <laughs> home. We've never met. We have mutual friends on Facebook, mutual lovely friends on Facebook. Um, so, but I could have been a serial killer and <laughs> come into your house, but you welcomed me into your house because it was too magical. It's just like so magical. And thank you for being a superhero love, meaning having your heart open to receive me and to receive the magic and for this to be this incredible thing. And I have to say one more thing. I am sitting, my back right now is only because I'm facing Sharon. My back is to this incredible sculpture and the title of the sculpture is... One, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three. And I'm going to have you tell the story of that. And we're sitting also in front of a portrait of her mother. And the reason why that is magical is that I didn't finish really telling the story. I Googled Sharon immediately after reading about the Love Chapel. I Googled her. And a YouTube video came up, which is a 2008 interview that they did for you at, of you at USC Film School. Mm-hmm. And you are talking about your mother. You're standing in front of this piece of art that I am now sitting in front of. I can't believe this. You're standing in front of this piece of art, and you're talking about how your mother inspired you to knit after she passed away. And you stated that she, too, your, both your parents were Holocaust survivors. And I had just ended a conversation you said your mother was an, uh, a knitter and an embroiderer, and I had literally just hung up the phone in a conversation about Trudy Strobel, and I was like, I have to go to Trudy Strobel's art and art opening with Sharon. Like, I had it set in my mind that I wanted to do that, and I was kind of, I sent you an email, and you picked it up right away, and you were like, maybe we should go together, <laughs> which is what I was trying to make happen, and I'm so excited that we are going to go see the art show together in a couple of weeks, and, but anyway, so tell, tell us about your mom, and how she inspired you to knit, and, and, and tell us about one, two, three, one, two, three. My mom, um, during the war, my mother survived because of her handwork skills. She was a seamstress. Do you know that Trudy's mom did also? They were in a concentration camp, and the reason that they, she believes that they survived is because her mother was such a master seamstress. Wow. And her mother taught her to embroider. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Goodbye. So, 
So my mom was, she was living in the ghetto. She wasn't in a camp, but that's how she was able to avoid being sent to a camp was her ability with her hands. And, um, she could knit and read a book at the same time, like complex patterns, which means you're counting. It's like mind boggling to me. That is so mind boggling. And I had asked her to teach me, but she couldn't slow herself down so that I could, anybody could humanly follow what she was doing. So when she died, I was in deep grief and I wandered into a yarn store looking for a piece of string. Whoa. Looking for a piece of string. Okay. Wait, tell me about that. So not necessarily looking to learn how to knit. Not at all. Looking for a piece of string for... I don't even know. I was going to tie something. I have no idea. (laughs) That part is totally gone. But I walked into this yarn store and these bins of soft textures and colors that were so delicious. And I practically threw myself into them. Yeah. And so I walked out of there with a kit to make a poncho and I taught myself how to knit. You literally taught, you taught yourself how to knit? Oh my God. I'm, I'm kind of blown away by you because... We'll tell you, I'll tell you why my history of knitting at the end of this, but that okay. blows me away that you taught yourself. I'm sorry, but anybody that doesn't knit, I just want you to know it's not easy. It's not easy to teach yourself. You have no. to admit that. Yeah, it is not easy. Okay. It's in your DNA. I mean, I watched my mother, even though at some level I couldn't see anything and another level I was getting it all. Wow. So I fell in love with knitting and my husband said to me, Will I ever see anything but the top of your head? (laughs) I knitted through my whole grieving process. It was a way of being close to my mom. It was a way of soothing and comforting myself. And at the end of it, when I've made scarves and ponchos for every human on the planet, I think, um, I realized I really loved the knitting. And I thought about it because you take one continuous thread You make a complex form, but if you cut it anywhere, the whole thing comes unraveled. Yeah. And I thought it was the most beautiful metaphor for how life is. I mean, we are that web. We are that knitted piece. And so I started knitting a variety of pieces. The piece behind you was my last knitted piece. I'm going to be knitting a new one for the show that's coming in the spring. But this was so far my last knitted piece. Wow. And we're going to have the picture that is with the podcast is of Sharon in front of this piece because it's so extraordinary. And what is it knitted out of? So the armature is, is welded steel. And then the knitting is polyester tying ribbon, which is the material they used to tie the newspapers with. Okay, tell us about what this is and explain it. So one of the things that I took up in the time that, during my grief with my mom's passing, was ballroom dancing. It would, For one hour a week, I was happy. Wow. And it was fantastic. And so as I'm making all these knitted pieces, over time, I realized I wanted to do something about ballroom and so the one two three one two three is a waltz right 
And this enormous dress, it just kind of came to me in a dream. I saw the dress form. I saw the chandelier inside of a knitted form. Um, I found the, it's a Maria Teresa crystal chandelier from the turn of the last century. It's really exquisite. So it's like 1900, late 1800s. It was on the street, totally broken. You found it? Yes. You had the vision. I had the vision. And then you found it. And then I found it. OMG. Right. Just like... (laughs) And it's covered in a hundred years. It was in a dining room, evidently, of a very, like, Hollywood Hills home. And it was covered... It is still covered in the golden amber tones of nicotine. And the idea of the chandelier being this ornate crystal chandelier represented sort of a bygone era, a time of um, that I kind of see my parents coming out of. They're European, obviously. Their taste was more European. Um, And so it had to do with sort of this bygone time. And then it's surrounded in the most contemporary materials I could think of. Right. And she stands on these wheels that are from an industrial, for lack of a better term, junkyard. And so she can go sliding across the floor like a true dancing girl. Oh, my God. That is fantastic. Which I just love. Oh, my God. And the idea that not all the bulbs work and that it's sort of like, it's this, just this combination of those two things, two worlds, the modern and the old. And the, I love the frill at the top. That's all, that's crocheted in the same material, but in gray. It's so beautiful. I had Uh, to teach myself to crochet because I hadn't learned that yet. You taught yourself how to crochet. I'm sorry. Okay. But there's a really, I have to tell you the story of the dress. Okay, please. So I'm, I'm knitting this thing on, because I want big holes so you can see the chandelier inside. So I'm knitting this thing on the most gigantic circular needles I could find. And how big a diameter is that needle? Please tell me. It's probably, the needle is probably an inch. Wow. Okay. And it's a, I think it's like a 50 inch. 50 inch, five zero inch, one Who? inch diameter. Who? Okay. Um, knitting needle. Oh my God. So I'm knitting on this thing I start by estimating what the bottom circumference should be and then I get to a certain point it's all totally intuition at a certain point I want the waist to come in so I I figure there's a lot of give it doesn't have to be exact I start tapering it in and then I have this moment which has happened with every knitted piece where I hear the voice and it says you're done you hear the voice. Oh my God. Just and like they then, talk to you in and your then dreams. It, it was, it fit perfectly. I just perfectly. Got I just got chills. So that's the magic of that piece. Oh my God. I just got chills. Seriously, they're not going away. Okay. Right behind this piece is the portrait of your mother. Tell us about the portrait of your mother. There's a photograph that my father took of my mom right after the war maybe my sister was in that photo she must have been two or three so and she was born 
you know, pretty much immediately after the war ended, she was, my mom got pregnant. And there's a look on my mom's face, and I've, I've drawn this image many times, and I can't capture it. But what it is, is she's standing on a chair, reaching for what she thinks is a piece of fruit, but it's actually an orange bulb. And she's somewhere in Italy. They lived in Italy for five years after the war. And she has a look that is indescribable. And the look is the joy and the shock and miracle of having survived the war. The grief hasn't set in. The post-traumatic stress hasn't set in. It's just the miracle of having survived. Yeah. And that they now have a daughter and that, you know, they have a future. Wow. And so that's a piece of that photograph is that image. And so it, she was picking what she thought was going to be an orange. But I, to me, she felt like Eve in the garden. And so that's why I put the apple in. Yeah. Her face is truly pure joy to me. It's, it's you instantly become happy when you look at it. So they moved, when did they move from Italy and when were you born? And They came where? to the U.S. in 1950. They tried to get, they wanted to stay in Italy. And they went to the U.S. and for some reason my dad's name came up as a mobster, and which he wasn't. And he, my dad said, fine, just deny us, because we had relatives here who would sponsor us, them, to come. Wait, where were they from originally? My dad was from Lithuania and my mom was from Poland. Okay. But they met in in Vilna, which is in Lithuania. Okay. In the forests where they were both partisans. Uh, please forgive my ignorance, but what is a partisan? What? So when they liquidated the ghetto and they were taking every last human being into the camps, prior my mom had, my mom had been part of a group called Yom Hashoa, which was. Really, when they got to Israel, they were the founders of the um, kibbutz movement. Oh, wow. Okay. And before the war, my mom went to live on a farm and in preparation of moving to Palestine to do this. Oh, wow. And it was while she was there that the war broke out. But the people who were members of this organization were, one of them was the leader of the Jewish partisans. And they lived in the forests and fought the Germans. Oh, wow. Okay, so your father was a part of this also group as well. Okay. He came in just as the ghetto was being liquidated. Okay. Okay, so they met there, and then you were born in, in the United States. Yes, okay. yes. I have to insert this little story before I forget it about why I know it's hard to learn how to knit and crochet. <laughs> oh, yes, let's hear it is not in my DNA. No one in my family did any kind of needlework. Oh, my grandmother taught me how to needlepoint, but that, and she did knit or crochet, but I didn't learn from her, and I wish I had. I wish it was in my DNA. So I, my friend was um, dying at, or he, he passed away at the City of Hope, and when we, we he had 24-7 care every day and like friends or family were there with him all the time but none of the other patients had 24 7 even like teenagers and young kids you know like families can't be there 24 7 sometimes so I decided to start the love scarf project this was like 16 years ago and it was have people knit and 
scarves and hats to help them when they're going through chemo because their temperature changes and they need to be warmed up. I knew and so, about this project. Oh my God. So that they would feel loved no matter what. Oh my God. That's, I started this project. Oh my God. This is magic. More magic. We're supposed to know each other. Oh my obviously. God. It's so incredible. So I went to, I was like, I have to learn how to knit. I didn't know how to knit. I wanted to start the project, but I didn't know how to knit. <laughs> So I went to a local knitting store, and the most magical woman taught me how to knit. But I had to keep going back to have her cast on and cast off for me because I couldn't quite get it in my brain. And But every time, and I'll never forget one time, I thought I was so excited because I was like, I've really got this. And I was at the project at that time was we were delivering on Christmas Eve, I think. Now we do it on Valentine's Day because they get a lot of attention at Christmas, so valentine's day they don't get attention from outside sources like that so it was christmas it was right it was like the night before christmas eve and i was at a christmas party and i was frantically knitting at the party because i had to finish and i was like really cocky i was like oh i totally got this i'm such a knitter now and then i lift up my needles and it looks like a diaper it's like a triangle it's supposed to be a scarf and it was like a big triangle Okay, I think I'm never going to get this and I need to just lay down my needles and just be the person that organizes this thing and forget about it. So I'm the opposite of you is what I'm trying to say. And That's Oh my God, funny. so you know about the Love Scarf Project. I love you for knowing about the Love Scarf Project. Okay, anyway, so I just had to tell you that I bow to you and you, t- I mean, when I look up at the crochet part of this piece behind me and you say that you just learned taught yourself how to do that I'm completely in awe of you and I bow to you uh, <laughs> okay now let's go back to the article that we were just that we were both mentioned in 1995 I had the angel store in Old Town Pasadena and you had the love chapel so tell us about how the love chapel came about and what that was I had always found these little sanctuaries whenever I traveled the Sanctuario de Chamayo, New Mexico, which I just was obsessed with. Um, the Baha'i Temple uh, in Haifa. And their their altars are all just fresh flowers. They're the most beautiful in these white rooms. It was so gorgeous. And I, back in my, you know, 20s, I made a mental note. Someday you're going to make a chapel. Wow. And so... My studio was in Santa Monica at the time, and the space at the end of the hall, which really shouldn't have been a space, was this narrow, long space that they'd rented out, became available. And I went, this is the time. So I rented out the space, and I turned the room into a love chapel. I'd, I'd already bought a small pew that magically fit perfectly in that little room. Oh, my God. Uh, I built an altar. I collected all these buttons that were like vintage love-themed buttons. Wow. Um, It was covered in this very sheer white and gold threads fabric. So the walls were covered with this. It was just this magical little place. And I had a place to burn incense. I had candles and incense for people to burn. I had a book that people signed in on. And I had these cards so that people could leave notes. Oh, beautiful. And then what started, and so it opened, um, I told you the story, the, the day of the opening, somebody had sky written <gasps> yes. a giant heart 
in the sky. People were like, you have to come out and see this. So it was just a synchronicity. Just for the day of the opening, we covered the floor with fresh rose petals. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. So the whole place just was like (gasps) fragrant and beautiful. Oh, my God. Okay, and you told me one we I I tried to keep my conversation with Sharon to a minimum because I wanted everything to be revealed in this in this but we ended up I did end up hearing one story that I want you to share with them the story of the yeah the yeah. couple yeah so the, there was a key that was hidden but people would tell other people to come to the love chapel and tell them told them where the secret hiding place was wow that's cool and people came from all around the world from Italy I mean just it was fascinating to see how they got there and there was a, I guess, a therapist or a psychiatrist um, who referred a patient who had just miscarried. And she and her husband went there in the wee hours of the night and left me a note saying they just couldn't face going home. And they called this their therapist and she sent them to the Love Chapel. Mm. And they said that it was... It was the only place they could have imagined feeling safe and okay to have their feelings. And it was one of the most beautiful notes. Wow. But the notes ranged everything from in ch- like some eight-year-old's handwriting, I wish for my auntie a husband. Oh, my God. It was so adorable. I mean, there was... There was everything you can imagine was were in those notes. They were wow. so beautiful. Wow. And people started leaving things. They'd bring stuff to add to the Love Chapel. Yeah, we have to bring this back. We have to bring I, this back. What I would love is to build like a really magical looking gypsy cart that could be towed from place to place and yeah. let people just go in. Yeah, we have to make that happen. That is just too magical. We need and we need love chapels everywhere. We do, right? Um, it's so funny because I was reading. I just I didn't I didn't really fully still have not fully read the article that we were both mentioned in. I read yours fully, but I didn't. I kind of skimmed over mine. But the quotes in mine were. It's as if they were written today because it was an angel story. But I'm talking all about love too, which is of course why they were. They they put us both together in the same article, but exactly. it's 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 unbelievable. Like we're collapsing time. Like I was supposed to be talking to you twenty four years ago, isn't it? And it, isn't it uncanny that it was almost twenty four years to the day? It was only four days off to a year. That and this is, is precise. This is the precise weekend twenty four years ago that I would have hunted you down. I would have taken time this weekend to find you. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Right after the article came out. So 24 years delay. When you were saying that earlier, what came to my mind was, and you would have been at my wedding if we had known each other back then. Oh my God. I would have loved to have thrown rose petals (laughs) on you. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk briefly about your husband because we're sitting in front of, so I am, there's art all around me, but the podcast equipment right now is sitting on an exquisite piece by your husband. So tell us a little bit about your husband and tell us how you, did he know the love chapel or is that pre, does that predate your husband? Well, tell so there's us. a funny story. No, the love chapel predates Terry. Okay. And, um, he actually, I used to teach classes out of my studio in Santa Monica. Mm. It was called the creativity center. Oh, cool. And 
he came, I actually met him when I was living with somebody else in Venice and he worked for that guy. Okay. And then I didn't see him for like 20 years. And one day I get a phone call from him saying, are you the same Sharon Kagan who used to work with this, live with this woodworker guy? And I'm like, yes. So he took my class. And then after a year and a half, we were friends. He asked me out and he said to me, I want something more than friendship. And I, I heard myself saying me too. And I realized that every time he walked into my studio, the lights got a little bit brighter. Oh, so beautiful. Oh my God. And, and so, so beautiful. We've been, now we've been married 21 years. Oh, Oh my God. That is so beautiful. Okay, and he is an artist. Give give his full name so that his name's Terry Holtzgreen. His his uh, he's a sculptor, furniture maker, um, artist. And I'll have to take a picture of this before we go and put it in the podcast notes because this this um, table is a wood sculpture and it is unbelievable. You're going to be blown away. The love and craftsmanship in this is exquisite, and. As you said earlier, well, I'm going to have to interview him as well because he's had some major heart-opening superhero of love experiences himself. Definitely, definitely. So you just have these unbelievable knowings. Yes. Synchronicities, dreams, listening to that, like you clearly hear those, the guidance. Yes. Oh, very much so. Tell me about that. Has that, your whole life, have you been like that or... I'd say my whole art life. Oh. I think as I became an artist, that voice became clearer and clearer. Wow. Like you became more yourself. Yes. And more attuned oh, wow. to that quiet, be able to hear that quiet voice. When did you become an artist? Like, did you... It's funny because I was going to be a writer. Oh my gosh. And then I ended up going to UCLA as an undergrad and they had no creative writing classes, not one. Oh, my God. And so and in between high school and undergrad, my best friend said, let's take an adult high school drawing class because she was an artist. And I fell in love. Oh my God. So when there was no creative writing, I sort of wandered over to the art department. Right. Oh and my that God. was the end of that. Oh, my God. So you found yourself just following, following life's little breadcrumbs. Come exactly. over here. Come over here. Exactly. Oh yes. Oh my God. It's so cool how attuned attuned you are. Do you have so when you teach, do you do you give advice to your students about listening to those voices or to, to help them become more attuned to that? I don't teach much anymore. Um, I used to teach the last sixteen years I was teaching at Santa Monica College oh, cool. and having the Creativity Center for I don't know. Decades. Along, yeah, decades. But at the time, what I was doing was more than telling them, I was giving them processes that would awaken those parts of themselves. Okay. Can you tell us about those? Like, is there anything that we can do to oh, yeah. awaken? Okay. Definitely. My first class, when I taught the visual journal at the Creativity Center, the very first class, I would have people come in and I would pile mounds of magazines. And people knew that I did this because they'd taken my classes over the years. And I would get these anonymous bags of magazines. And I mean, everything from Mary Englebright 
to guns and ammo, <laughs> to porn, to <laughs> National Geographics. And I would put a good mix of all of that in on top of the tables. And I said to them, pull everything that draws your eye, whether it's repulsive or beautiful. It can be a spot of color. It can be an image. It could be a phrase or word, whatever you want. And I'd get them to the point of exhaustion, like where they just couldn't stand looking at anything else. And then I'd say, now you're going to take these home and you're going to lay. So that's what you do. You pull everything and, and you do it in one sitting until you can't stand the idea of looking at another magazine page. Wow. And I would say to them, don't do that like a shuffle. Turn them thoughtfully page by page. So you're really looking at every image. And then they'd go home and they'd lay everything out. And I'd say to them, if you came hungry, you're going to be seeing an amazing number of food images. <gasps> wow. If you had a fight before you got here, you're going to see an amazing number of angry faces wow. in your collection. Wow. And I said, so live with them. And every, t every day, spend a few minutes and anything that no longer speaks to you, Get rid of it because those are your passing moments. We're looking for the soul. We're looking for the deeper conversation. Wow. And actually, Terry is the best example of this. <gasps> so I'll tell that in Oh, my God. A I second. can't wait. Yeah. And so then at the end of a week, they were to attach it in some way to something. It could be poster board and make it a collage. But I didn't care if they pinned them to their clothes or if they covered a toaster oven in them. I didn't care what they did. But they had to use those images. So Terry came in after having done that exercise. And he completely forgot to attach them to anything. And he's sitting there and he's laying the images out. And there's like a man leaping off of, you know, like those guys who dive off of the rocks. Yes, yes. So there's a guy doing that. There's words like escape, freedom. <laughs> And as he's laying them out, he's going, oh, my God, I know what this means. <gasps> he had been in a relationship, and he knew he had to end the relationship. Oh, my God. Are you serious? But it's wow. like, it was every time we did this exercise, it was astonishing what people knew that they didn't know. Wow. People would tell me years later, I don't know how I knew, but my husband was having an affair. Or I don't know how I knew that I needed to move, but there it was. I mean, it was just... That is an incredible exercise that all of us can do. I'm totally inspired to do that myself. Yeah. Wow. And that is getting in touch with that inner voice. That is getting in touch with that knowing. It's yes. a tapping. It's a really quick way to get in touch with the tap. It's tapping into that knowing. Oh, my God. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Sure. Oh, my God. That's such a great... Okay, so um, I consider you a superhero of love because with your art, with your teaching, with that exercise even, you're showing people, you're in the business of opening people's hearts up and helping them see inside their heart, empower their hearts, inspire their hearts. So is there anything else that you would like to say to our listeners about hearts and love and opening your heart there's a couple of things i'd like to say 
Uh, first of all, what what pe- my friends say to me is that I am unrelenting when it comes to finding my own personal freedom. Mm. And so, and many people have made fun of me. I've done everything. I mean, everything. And I wouldn't change a single one of those. I've done, I've worked, done body work. I've done all kinds of experimental therapy. I mean, you name it, I've done it. Right. And each one has led me to a little bit more of an, a feeling of having my heart as open as it is today. And hopefully it'll be more open tomorrow. Wow. But don't let anyone discourage you from using your resources to make yourself whole, free, loving, and a contribution to the world. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Okay, you had another one. That one just blew me away, but you have even more. Well, <laughs> this one is, is kind of an interesting thing that I stopped teaching after my dad passed away. And I decided that it was time to teach through my work, which had felt like a selfish thing, which I now know it's the best way for me to reach people. Mm -hmm. And that what I did in the classroom was limited because I could only reach so many people. My work now is a combination of everything that we talked about. You know, we're t- that listening voice. I was doing drawings of my, I'd been knitting hemp rope and I was doing drawings of the hemp rope. And I wanted to do like a six foot wide, four foot high, enormous drawing of complicated knit forms. And these were like details so that, it's very complicated and I just mapping it out if I was using the measuring method would have taken me six months. Wow. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll take a photograph. I'll enlarge it in a really inexpensive way. I'll use um, carbon transfer paper and I'll just draw out the shape so I know where everything is. But when I blew them up, I was using a three megapixel camera. So what that means is there was no image. There was just little pixelated shapes. Oh, wow. And this voice in my head said, draw what you do see. So I started to draw around the pixelated shapes. And that's what opened up this whole new work. Wow. Which I just got a glimpse of in your studio. And it the work, so the story I didn't tell you at the beginning was... When I first started meditating 30 years ago, I had what's called a display, which is for three days, I walked around and saw everything as energy. Whoa. And I thought, if I could make art that communicated that, because it was like, maybe that table over there is vibrating and a little more densely vibrating than the space between us and the table but it's all vibrating I thought people would just they'd respect life in a whole different way Wow! and when that when I took that pen and started to draw around the shapes I realized this is it because there were no edges but there was more densely 
pixelated shapes, less densely pixelated shapes, and suddenly the forms emerged. So you could see the knitting. Wow. Okay, wait, can we go, can I hear more about that meditation? How, so that was how many years ago that you had that? 30 years ago. Right. What kind of meditation? I'm curious. It was just your, no particular teacher, just sit and watch your breath. Oh, okay. Okay. And you had, that's an incredibly powerful experience. It was a very, it transformed my life. Three days of seeing the world as energy. Like I have these glimpses of moments, of minutes of doing that and I'm blown away. I can't imagine. Well, and you can imagine, you can imagine what your heart is doing. Whoa. Like there is no door on that heart anymore. All the doors are wide open. All the windows are open. All the doors are open. All the... Exactly. (laughs) It's off of its foundation. It's flying high in the sky. And Um, I was bereft when the window closed. Whoa. Okay, that... Because we just walked into her studio just very briefly. We're going to go back out there after this. We were just looking for spaces to record this and... Now I can't wait to go back in there and see them again. But they were, I mean, it was, I felt the energy of them just even seeing them ever so briefly. Like that whole room is vibrating. It that is. whole studio is vibrating right now. Wow. Well, and the, on the floor of my studio, I've drawn um, the flower of life, you know, all the sacred geometries on the floor. Oh my God. So it really is a powered up space. Yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> So I just showed her my, um, my, it's Metatron's cube or, um, the, is it all called, also called the tree of life or something? There's something else. It's the flower of life. The flower of life, excuse me. This, so, uh, this is from my teacher. This is, this is powered up and, uh, and has wonderful protective powers imbued in it from my teacher master john douglas and so and in fact i was just at an event and a bunch of i just did a book event in santa barbara and a bunch of friends from master john douglas came and and the uh, owner of the store where the event was was like was like it's a cult because you're all wearing these metatrons cube and i was like well if you only knew the power of what is in this pendant or and you know at the base of your um at the base of your, on the floor of your studio. Wow. Oh my God. We have so many things in common. It's kind of unbelievable. It's kind of of like, it's kind of like a whole new chapter of life starts today. I don't know. There's, I'm sure you're like this too, because it feels, but not everybody is like us, right? Where you just like follow the breadcrumbs, right? Exactly. Like, Oh, that's a synchronous. Did you read? Did you read the Celestine Prophecy in the nineties by I James didn't. Redfield? So uh, that was a book that had me. It's a book that encourages you to pay attention to the synchronicities in your life, and it kind of changed my life. I was actually on vacation. I was going to be opening up a drive-through cappuccino place. This was before I opened the Angel Store. And what happened is we came back right before the Northridge earthquake and I was like, no, I don't want to be in the food service industry. And I started, I had just, I was reading his book on vacation, paying attention to the synchronicities. And every single day after the Northridge earthquake, I met someone who was either an angel author or an angel sculptor or an angel painter or something to do with angels. And I was like, I don't know. Everything's telling me to open an angel store. And there was only other one other angel store in all of Southern California. And I was like, I think, and it was in San Juan Capistrano. I'm like, I think I'm supposed to open an angel store. And it, within two months, I had an angel store full of angel stuff 
following the synchronicities, right? But not everybody does. And this, I hope this encourages people to start seeing those little, the breadcrumbs that the angels and the divine are, and that inner voice inside of you is leaving behind, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sharon Kagan, thank you, 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 thank you for opening your heart and saying yes to meeting me. And she instantly, by the way, answered my email. Yes, I think we should meet. And I have to tell you, it's not always like that. I just had the feeling this is, we have to meet. Right. That inner knowing, right? So this is, I think this is such a beautiful siren call. Thank you for bringing this siren call to listen to that inner voice for all our listeners. And for me too, it's, it's always, it's never a bad reminder, right? It's always an excellent reminder to listen to that inner voice and open your heart to the possibilities. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God. Thank you. I feel so incredibly blessed that Sharon Kagan is now in my life as a result of this podcast. Like, wow. Um, I wouldn't have had an excuse to to get into her home <laughs> like that as quickly as I did, I don't think, had I not had the podcast. So I'm so grateful to this podcast, and I'm also so grateful to Charlotte Delapoole, who has an amazing line of essential oils, by the way, Tantian oils. Charlotte is the one who told me that she had just seen me on TV, which sent me down the rabbit hole of Googling the Angel Store, which brought me to this very moment in time so special shout out to charlotte check out sharon kagan and follow her on all social media sharon kagan again her website is sharonkagan.com and on instagram she has sharon kagan but she also has curated la culture so she has two instagram accounts so follow her there because she has such a great eye and if you like the podcast please go rate and review it subscribe to it tell your friends about it please 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 we need more followers we need more superheroes of love in the fold everybody